0: The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now.
1: Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. It's July 2nd, I know, but... uh... You know, I'm not going to be here on the 4th of July. So I thought today we'd do a show just talking about the meaning of the 4th of July, really the meaning of the founding of America, and deeper than that, the meaning of America itself. What what are we celebrating on the 4th of July? We're celebrating independence, but is that worthy of celebration? Is that an important thing? Uh, You know, should you always be patriotic no matter what your country is? my argument is no. I mean, I left my country of birth. I left my country of birth to come to a better country. I wanted to come to the place, to the best place on the planet. And at least when I immigrated to the United States, when I first came to the United States in 1987, I too believed that America was the best place on the planet. And, and in that sense, I'm patriotic. I'm patriotic for all the virtues that are America. I, I, I believe in this country. But I really, when I really think about what is it I love about this country, what I really love about this country are the founding principles, are the things that made this country great, is the vision of the founding fathers. It's what happened on the 4th of July, 1776. What's in the document, the Declaration of Independence, and in the Constitution that came a few years later, that is what I love about this country. Indeed, that, I think, is what has led to all the good that this country has done. All the good that exists in America is a product of what the Founding Fathers created, what the Founding Fathers, you know, basically fought for, announced the independence of on that 4th of July in 1776. So let's think about what, what it is. What makes America special? What What is American exceptionalism? Why is that document in 1776 a document to be revered even today? What is it about that document that makes the United States of America a special country? What's well, the first document in human history, the first political document in human history, the first time a country is founded on the idea of individual rights? All men are created equal, the founding fathers tell us. And they all have an inalienable, unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that core idea right there, that principle is what made America great. It's why I celebrate the Fourth of July. It's why I'm so saddened by the fact that America today has no concept. Not the Supreme Court, not our legislator, not our president, and not the voters. No concept of what those unalienable rights are. So on the one hand, I celebrate the Fourth of July. On the other hand, I mourn, I mourn that the principles of the Founding Fathers are so badly little understood today in America in 2017. What does it mean to have an unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? It means for the first time in history... It means that your life belongs to you. You get to decide how to live it. You get to use your mind, your reason, to choose the values and then pursue the values you believe are necessary to live, are necessary for your happiness. Before America, before the Declaration of Independence articulated this case, before America was fought for and won, ultimately, in the Revolutionary War. Who did your life belong to? Who did all of our lives belong to? Well, it depends on what period of history. But what's common to all of them is that your life did not belong to you. Belonged to the tribe. Belonged to the king, to the queen, to the council, to the pope, to, to you know, to the emperor, to the tribal leader, to the witch doctor, to the whoever, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank, somebody throughout human history always had a claim on your life. They are very it's very rare in human history. This idea that your life belongs to you, that your life is yours to live as you see fit. That is a very, very rare in history. you know take a hundred thousand years, take a, a several hundred thousand years of human history and there's maybe a few hundred years under Greece and a few hundred years around you know, a few years before the Declaration of Independence and and maybe through today where people actually believe that. But in all of human history, you were nothing but a pawn, a pawn to be ruled over, a pawn to be used for some other purpose, for some greater purpose, for a purpose greater than yourself. You meant nothing as an individual. It was the group, it was the collective, it was the leader, it was God, There was everything. And that changed, that all changed. With the founding of America, America is the first country in human history to recognize the legitimacy of individualism, the legitimacy of the individual, the the, the 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 fact that the individual's life is his to live as he sees fit. We'll talk about the contradiction in the Foundry and slavery in one of the future segments. So let's let's put that aside. I, I will recognize that as a f- major flaw in the founding of America, but we'll talk about it in a minute. So every other country in the world was established until the founding of America on the principle of some ethnic group and you as an individual belonging to this group and and being ruled by somebody and where your moral responsibility, your political responsibility, your day-to-day responsibility was not to your own life but to the group and to the ruler. It was pure collectivism. All of human history, from the time we were in a tribe. There was no individualism in a tribe. You did what the tribal leader told you. And if you didn't, the tribe took care of you. They excommunicated you or they killed you. But the individual's life did not gain value politically until the founding of America. Now with the exception maybe of of ancient Greece, where, where there was a period there of relative freedom, and relative individualism. Now, how did this come about? How did, this come, how did we go from an era where the, the perception was that human life, individual human life, was not that valuable? Individual human life was just there to serve the greater good, the greater purpose, the greater collective, the greater something. But it was not an end in itself, did not have value in and of itself. How did we get to that point? It's certainly not, it's certainly not in our religious tradition. I mean, we're always treated as a collective in our religious traditions. Your life is not ultimately yours to live as you see fit. You follow your duties, you follow commandments, you follow what you are told. All for some greater good. Greater good that you don't get to opt out of. Greater good that might be consistent with what's good for you might not be consistent with what's good for you. And as a consequence of that, human beings have lived in, in unfreedom forever. What are the few periods in which people were free? Free to say what they want, free to do what they want, free to go out there and engage in life the way they wanted to engage with it. You know, yeah, there have always been some limitations, but generally, what are the eras in which human beings were free? Well, a short period during, maybe, in Athens, and then America. And, and since America and the, we- the Western world and other countries who have adopted American values, American ideals, the idea of individualism. But that's a rarity. Throughout so most of human history, we have been, we have been, not quite slaves, but we have been unfree. We've been told what to do. We've been told what profession to have think of feudalism. We've been told where we can and cannot live. We've been told what wars to fight in and and forced to fight in those wars, whether we liked them or not, whether we agreed with them or not. We were told who our rulers were. We didn't get to vote on that. We were told what to believe in. If you didn't believe in the belief of your neighbors, you were often kicked out or again, killed. You were told what to think. You couldn't challenge conventional wisdom if it was the Catholic Church in the, in the 13th century or, or the Protestant Church in Northern Europe in the uh, 17th century. How dare you? You know, uh, 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 blasphemy, blasphemy laws were everywhere, everywhere. So you couldn't think what you wanted to think. You couldn't say what you wanted to say. You couldn't live where you wanted to live. There was no concept of private property. The Lord, the King, the, the overseer owned you. There was no sense of freedom. There was no idea of freedom until really the 18th century, until, until, it was, until the Enlightenment, this period in 18th century from which American founding arose. And indeed, the American founding is the culminating achievement of the Enlightenment. It is the culminating achievement of a whole school of thought for 150 years before, before the founding of America. It's not accidental. It's not arbitrary. It's not just a few geniuses, the Founding Fathers indeed were geniuses, but it wasn't just the accidental accumulation of few geniuses who came up with all of this, because the founders, these are not original ideas to them. They're geniuses in that they understood them, and they were original in the implementation. But the ideas around the founding, the ideas around individualism, the idea of individual sovereignty are not unique to the founders, they got them from previous thinkers. So this era is unique. How is it unique? Why is it unique? How did it come about? Because again, the founding is not accidental. The founding is a culmination. It's the bearing of the fruits of something of, of intellectual, philosophical seeds that were planted for the 150 years before. What are those seeds? Well, let's let's do a little bit of a history lesson. Let's do a little bit and a bit of a, a bit of philosophy lesson, a bit of philosophy lesson and a bit of history lesson, to lead up to what makes America great and and why the Fourth of July is to me, I think the most, to me, is the most important holiday of the year, the most meaningful holiday of the year. I, I venerate the founders and I venerate the founding of America and I, I love this country to the extent that it still represents that founding, to the extent that it still represents what was created back then. How did this, how did this all happen? So uh, think about, think about ancient history. Think about, well, not ancient history, but think about the history of Europe in the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries. Europeans were poor. They were dying. The population during one period because of a plague shrunk by a third. There was very little knowledge. There was very little progress. There was very little communication. People's lives were very short. Life expectancy was often around 29. In the better periods, it went into the 30s. Most of us would be dead. Population was small. There was no free thinking. There was no science, there was no invention, there was no production, there was no creativity, there was nothing. And then something amazing started to happen during the Renaissance. Suddenly people started thinking for themselves, creating beautiful art, starting to think about science. How did this happen? How did we go from the dark, dark ages of the Middle Ages to the Renaissance and the Enlightenment? the discovery of the work of one philosopher. That philosopher is Aristotle. Aristotle is the father, the philosophical, physical, philosophical father of this country. Aristotle is a great Greek philosopher who believed that human reason was efficacious. That reason, reason, we could use reason to learn about the world around us. We could use reason to discover truth about the world. Science was the application of reason to the physical world out there and discovering. There were laws to be discovered, there were facts to be discovered. He believed that knowledge was not accumulated through a revelation, it didn't come from some mystical entity, but that knowledge fundamentally was a product of human reason and that every individual was capable of reasoning, that every individual was capable of discovering knowledge for himself. And suddenly these ideas were discovered by Europeans, actually by Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas took these ideas seriously, he was the great Catholic philosopher. He took these ideas seriously and started challenging church doctrine based on these ideas. And these ideas entered into the Western world, through the church, all over. People started saying, reason, we can think, we can use our minds. And human beings, they're not the miserable, pathetic beings that the art, the art, the aesthetics of the Dark Ages portrayed them. Gargoyles, monsters, creepy creatures suffering constantly. But there was potential for heroism in human beings. And the art of the Renaissance, the art that is based on this Aristotelian idea of the individual's ability to think, to discover, reflects the heroism of the individual. Now we see that in the Renaissance. And then we start seeing a scientific revolution come about as a consequence. And at the beginning, that scientific revolution is stifled. Think Galileo. Galileo says, hey, the sun doesn't go around the earth. It's the earth that goes around the sun. And the Catholic Church says, you can't say that. You can't think that. And that cannot be true because it goes against revelation. It goes against what's written in the Bible. And therefore, we must put you under house arrest. And he was lucky. Because other scientists were burned at the stake. But slowly, that idea, that idea that only the holy books, only the Catholic Church has a monopoly over truth, has a monopoly over what is right and what is wrong, what science actually teaches us, slowly that breaks apart. We'll talk more about this when we come back right after this.
0: This is the Yaron Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Euron Brook Show.
1: All right, so we're doing a lot of history today. <laughs> I hope you're finding this interesting. But I'm trying to lead you up to the founding of America. And I know there's a lot of people out there who sell a very simplistic story about the founding of America. And I think they're wrong. I think the founding of America is a very deep event, a very important event, and a very philosophical event. And you have to understand the sequence of events and how we came to the idea, how do we come to the idea that individual life. Was so valuable that we built a political system called the American political system to protect the individual's life, to protect his right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to leave him alone to live his his life as he saw fit. That's such a revolution in human thinking. That's such a political revolution in terms of how we organize the sta- states. That I think it's so crucial for us to understand where it comes from, so that we can resurrect it, so we can bring it back. I think we're losing America. I think we're losing the the the. the uh, The idea that was America. We're losing the principles that were American. We're slipping and becoming more European. We're slipping and becoming more collectivist. We're losing that sense of individualism, that sense of individual rights, that sense of we leave people alone so they can live their lives as they see fit. All of that is slipping through our fingers. And our politicians have no clue. I don't think the Supreme Court understands the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. And you can't understand the Constitution unless you understand the Declaration. Because I don't think that any of those people and, and, and all of Americans who vote, I don't think they understand how unique this country is, how exceptional we really are. I mean, we, people talk about American exceptionalism. They don't have a clue. We're really exceptional, but not in the way we are today, in our founding. And it's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about being American. It's about ideas. So, what we need to do in order to save America is understand the ideas at the core, at the heart of America. And to do that, we have to do some history, some philosophy. Our founding fathers were real intellectuals. They were well read men. They were men who understood history and understood philosophy. They understood the roots of the system they were trying to create. And they didn't take any of this for granted. They studied, they read. And they discovered the ideas that allowed them to create this fantastic, this amazing, this almost miraculous country that we have, uh, that we have today. So what I'm trying to do today is walk you through some of the things that the founders discovered. Some of the ideas that the foundation of what they put into the Declaration, into the Constitution, the foundation of their vision for what America should be and needed to become. The discovery of the idea of individualism, the discovery of the idea of the individual as the primary in political theory, in politics, in, 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 you know, that the state was there to protect the individual. The state is there to serve the individual. The state is there as our servant, not the other way around. Our lives belong to ourselves. Our lives do not belong to the state. We are not, we are not the slaves or the serfs of anybody. We are independent people all right after this break we'll do a little bit more history we'll catch you up on the f- basic foundations of this country and uh, you're listening to your own Brook show and we are going to be back after this break
0: you're on Brooke. on the blaze radio network To the Brooks Show
1: on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, happy 4th of July, everybody, and uh, we're talking about the historical context for the founding of this country, and I was talking about the fact that the scientific revolution plays a huge role in the founding of America. How's that connected? Oh, we're going to get to that. We are going to get to that. So during the Renaissance and leading out of the Renaissance, people are starting to think for themselves. People are starting to question the monopoly, the church. And religion has over knowledge. Whether it's Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, and others, are starting to explain the physical world by means of science, not revelation. And then, then Isaac Newton comes around, early part of the 18th century, and actually explains many you know, of the physical phenomena around us. In simple mathematical physical laws, he actually explains how objects move. He explains how planets move around the sun, and all of this can be proved and can be shown to be to work. And it takes him a long time to convince people that these, that this new field of physics, this new field of science, is legit. He has to, because people are not used to human beings discovering truths about the world. All truth is supposed to be revealed. But no Newton tells us, teaches us really. Human reason is what leads to truth. Human reason is how we discover what's around us, how the physical world works and what it doesn't work. And people take this to heart. People say, wait a minute, if we can explain the physical world through reason, why can't we explain other things through reason? And hey, why can't I make my own decisions about my own life through reason? Philosophers start asking these questions. John Locke, and others in the Enlightenment, French Enlightenment, American Enlightenment, they challenge the conventional wisdom that we need experts to tell us how to live, that we need revelations, people who have special knowledge of the truth to tell us how to live. They say, wait a minute, Aristotle teaches us, and we agree, that every individual has reason. Aristotle defined human beings as the rational animal. And if every one of us has reason, has the capacity to think, discover the truth about oneself and about one's own values, about one's own needs, about one's own passions, then why do we need other people to tell us what to do? Why do we need other people to tell us what professions to have, how much to pay for the goods do we buy, where we can and cannot live, what we can or cannot think who we can and cannot listen to and read, why can't we make those decisions? We have the capacity to know the world. We're not dependent on revelation. We're not dependent on some other dimension for truth. We can discover the truth. And this is when, this is the age of enlightenment. This is the 18th century. This is the age that produces the founding fathers. These are the people the Founding Fathers are reading. They're reading Locke and Montesquieu and Voltaire and, and Adam Smith and, and others, the, the the Enlightenment. They're reading the thinkers in Scotland and in France and in other places in Europe, the thinkers that are articulating the case basically for a secular world, for a world in which individuals can discover the truth about the about their lives, about their needs, about how to achieve success in life without the state or the church telling them what they can and cannot do what they can and cannot think what is truth and what is falsehood once we once we discover this idea once we accept this idea and discover this idea that we all have the capacity to reason to look around the world and look around and 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 figure out what's good for us and and figure out what's right and figure out who should rule us and what ideas are good and what ideas are bad and we say, well, well, shouldn't we have a vote in, in who gets to rule us? Shouldn't we? Why why can't we just do whatever profession we want? Why why are we forced into particular guilds? Why if I was born to a to a blacksmith, do I have to be a blacksmith? No, I want to be a poet. Or I want to be I want to be a, a farmer. I want to be a computer engineer. Why is it the states or the or the aristocrats or anybody's role? And wait a minute, what makes an aristocrat an aristocrat? Just because he was born that way? I mean, what's, what makes him different? When the founders say that all men are created equal, they, they, they mean it in that sense. Why, why is an aristocrat different than a common person? Aren't we all just human beings? And as human beings, don't we all have the capacity to reason? And if we all have the capacity to reason, can we all make the most of our own lives? Can we all as individuals pursue our own happiness? Do we really need to be? told how to do that? Do we really need to be forced? Do we really need to be cursed? Do we really need authorities in our lives who tell us how to live and how to think and everything else? And the answer the founders come to, following the tradition of the thinkers that they were reading, is no. Every individual has the capacity, has the capacity to live a good life. Every individual has the capacity to be moral, to be good. Some people are going to be bad. You need a state to protect us from them. They need to go to jail if they commit violence or they commit a crime. But everybody has the capacity to be good. Everybody had the capacity to choose his own way. Everybody has the right to think his own thoughts, to believe in whatever he believes. The whole idea of religious freedom, which the founders talk a lot about, particularly Thomas Jefferson. You have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. You even have a right not to believe, to be an atheist, to be an agnostic, to be a Buddhist, to be whatever. It's none of my business. It's none of the state's business. There is no authority to tell you what you can and cannot believe. But before this, this wasn't acceptable. Atheists were burned at the stake. Before the Enlightenment, there was no such thing as free thinking. You thought only what you were allowed to think. Books were banned, books were burnt, all over Europe, well into the 18th century. But it's thinkers like Locke and and the whole Enlightenment, because they identify the efficacy of human reason, and they identify the individual as an end in itself. They say, wait a minute, you, you cannot tell an individual what to read and what not to read, what to think, what not to think, what to do, what not to do, as long as he's not using violence against others, then he is free. And more importantly, what Locke and the founders understood is that for a thinking, productive, rational human being, he needs a certain type of environment in order to thrive. They understood that human beings don't thrive under the environment they, they, they studied history. they saw us dying of starvation. they saw the kind of political systems and kind of environments in which people stagnated or worse died. And they said look, if you if an individual is going to be productive, if an individual is going to be rational, which they viewed as virtues to be rational to be productive, then we need to create a specific, Type of political environment to make it possible for them to do that. And that's the political environment of freedom. We want a political environment that rewards the best. That rewards the best. And what kind of environment is that? It's an environment that leaves people alone. Because what is the enemy of reason? What is the enemy of production? What is the enemy of human success? What is it that stops you from thinking? And look, every one of our values requires thinking. From from food, we have to figure out how to do agriculture. We have to figure out how to hunt. You you don't have a gene for hunting. You have to figure out how to build a weapon. You have to figure out how to build a gun. Figure out how to use it. That all requires reason. That all requires thought. There is no, there is no shortcut. There is no instinct. There is no human beings to survive, to be successful, to thrive, to be productive have to use their minds. What's the enemy of the mind? This is the great discovery of the enlightenment. What's the enemy of the mind? The the positive discovery is the efficacy of the mind. The, uh, The second part of the discovery is the enemy. What's the enemy? The enemy is force. The enemy is coercion. The enemy is authority you put a gun to somebody's head, he can't think. He can't be productive because he's now going to do what you tell him because otherwise he's dead. You tell somebody from now on two plus two equals five. Otherwise, I'm going to shoot you. Can't build a bridge. Can't program a computer. Can't do anything in life. Your mind is shut down. Force, coercion, authority shuts you down. So what John Locke and the thinkers of the Enlightenment and ultimately the Founding Fathers discovered was reason is efficacious, reason is what we want to encourage. To do that, to make it possible for people to live by reason, what we need to do is extract from human life, force. What we need to do is extract from human life, coercion. Extract from human life, authority. Authority with a gun. How do we do that? concept of individual rights and a political system that protects the individual right. the Individual rights to live without being coerced. The individual's right to live without force. The individual's right to live without authority, to judge based on his own mind, to act based on his own judgment. That's the political system that is America. America is the first political system to recognize the evil of force, to recognize the evil of coercion, to recognize that in order for people to thrive and be successful in their lives, they needed to be free from force, needed to be free from coercion, needed to be left alone to live their lives as they see fit so that they could exercise their rational mind, their reason to live the best life that they could live. All right, history lesson today, 4th of July. Have a great, great Fourth of July. We'll keep discussing this. You're listening uh, to the Uran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be back. We'll summarize this and go on to another lesson from the revolution.
0: Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Euron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Your Brooks Show. So, Happy of July, everybody. We're talking today about the intellectual context in which this country was founded and, and why it is such a great, great achievement. I mean, really, for the first time in human history, people came together and said, people have a right, individuals have a right to live their lives free from force because they have a right to exercise their mind, to, to use their reason to make their lives the best lives that they can be. They have a right not to be coerced. This was a revelation. This, this was new. This was exciting. We're going to build a country. We're going to create a country called an America where we're going to create the optimal conditions to maximize opportunities for people to achieve happiness. And we're going to do that by eliminating coercion from society, by eliminating force from society for initiation of force from society. And we're going to create a government, a government whose only job is only job. It's to protect us from somebody initiating force against us. It's to protect us from crooks and criminals and fraudsters and, and, and invaders and terrorists and all the people who would use force against us to force us to do things we did not want to do. Give us the space. Give us the freedom to do what's good for us. To think about what are the values and virtues necessary to live a good life and then to go and get them, whether our neighbors likes it or not, whether the state likes it or not, to live. So the state is there, the government is there to protect us, protect us from force, and to arbitrate disputes so that we don't have to resort to force against one another when we disagree. You need some kind of system of objective law and an objective legal system that can arbitrate those disputes. But other than that, government should leave us alone. Government should leave us alone that is the genius of the founding. That by doing so, it created a space, a political space in which people could think new thoughts, innovate, produce, create, build, and as a consequence, you got this flowering in America. What you got in America as a consequence of the Declaration of Independence and a consequence of this idea of individual freedom is inventors and scientists and businessmen. You know, really, those professions, uh, particularly the businessman profession was created in America and in those countries outside of America that adopted these ideas. You got the Industrial Revolution. You got this exciting period in human history where we went from everybody being poor to suddenly everybody being rich in comparison to what they were before. Not equally rich, some people are richer than others, but relatively speaking, Relatively speaking, we're all doing great. And that's a consequence of the industrial revolution and a consequence of the freedom we've had since then to innovate and produce and create, to live our lives, to to consume what we want to consume, to live in a relative free market. I wish it was a pure free market, but a relative free market. So the United States unleashed the productive spirits, the energy, the productive energy of millions of people around the world who emigrated to the United States and built and created this fantastic country based on the principles of the Enlightenment, based on the principle of the unalienable right to life, liberty, the pursuit of hate, the happiness, based on the principle that your life is yours, to live as you see fit, free of coercion, free of force, using your mind, your reason, to live the best life that you can. You're listening to your Ron Book Show. We'll be back after this break.
0: You're listening to The Yaron Brooks Show on The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Iran Brook Show starts now.
1: Happy Fourth of July, everybody. We're back. This is the Iran Brook Show, where we take a deeper look at the events of the day and, and we take a more philosophical look at the events of the day. We look at issues and history and ethics and, and epistemology. We talked about reason in the, in, the, in the previous hour, talked about the role of reason in the creation of America. <laughs> yeah, there would be no America today. If the idea of reason as the source of human knowledge had not come back to the West, an idea that's ancient from ancient Rome, uh, sorry, ancient Greece, from Aristotle, the efficacy of reason, rediscovered by Thomas Aquinas, brought into the Catholic Church during the 14th and 15th centuries, resulted in a Renaissance, Renaissance then spread throughout Europe. Ultimately, we got a Reformation. But even the Reformation was still dedicated to a particular dogma, religious dogma, that started breaking apart and shattering completely in the 17th and 18th centuries, as thinkers became more independent, discovered more truth, and as science gave them the ability to say, "See, see, this is how the world works, and we can discover it through human reason. We can discover it all." And of course, the founders, the founders understood all this, and. You know, if you look at Thomas Jefferson and you look at Washington, I mean, Renaissance men in the sense of, they 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 studied science, they studied history, they studied politics, they studied philosophy. These were great thinkers who understood the full context, the full context of what they were creating. They understood, I think, their own achievement. They were creating the first free country in human history, the first country that recognized the sanctity of the individual, the first country that recognized individual rights that the individual was free to act in pursuit of his own rational values, that the state was there to protect his ability to do that. That's all. A protection agency. That's what government is. Protect us. Now it does so by passing laws, passing laws that define property rights, that define boundaries, but it cannot, should not, must not violate rights. In other words, it must not, should not, cannot initiate force on us as citizens. And that's where we've gone wrong. Our government has grown, so our government is no more, no longer, you know, for over 100 years, is no longer there to protect us, to defend us. Our government is there to help us, to uh, to uh, take our wealth and redistribute it, to help us be good people. It's there to tell us what we can and cannot do, what professions we can and cannot get into, how much we have to pay in order to get a license to shampoo hair in California. Oh, who's a licensed this and who's a licensed that? Who's permitted to do this and who's permitted to do that? We have a government today that is not protecting our rights, but is violating them on a massive scale. Indeed, you could argue easily that the government today is violating our rights much more than King George ever did. And we have not started a revolution. How sad is that? How sad is that? And to the extent I think that today we are still somewhat free, because we're not very free, to the extent to today that the economy is still doing well and we're still getting richer all the time and there's still innovation and still creativity, I think it's to the extent that we're still living off of the values Created by the founding fathers, the values that got this country going—the values of the Enlightenment—but those are disappearing fast. More and more people ati- across the entire political spectrum denounce reason, denounce thinking. We should be intuitive. Donald Trump tells us there are no principles. He's not an ideologue. He doesn't believe in ideals. Whatever works in a short run, of course. Don't think about it too hard. Just go by the gut. Go by instinct. That's a Rejection of reason and thinking and rationality. Certainly, a rejection of individualism because he's not about what works in order to free up the individual. He talks about what works in order to make America great again, whatever that means. There's only one way to make America great again: It's to resurrect the founding documents, to resurrect the Declaration of Constitution of the United States, to understand them thoroughly, and to implement them. And that means that means freedom. That means shrinking government by like 80%. It means phasing out Medicare and phasing out Social Security and phasing out all the regulations and freeing up the American people. It means not telling us how to use our own money. (sighs) No, we've we've come a long way, long way from Jefferson and Madison and and Hamilton and, and all those great thinkers and all those. I mean, there's nobody. There's no voice today in America. There's nobody today and the political arena. There's nobody today even in the, in the ideological arena other than Ayn Rand and, and some of us who, who advocate for ideas, but we're, we're tiny. We're tiny. There's no significant figure out there who actually understands what this country stands for, what this country means, what freedom means, what individual rights mean. I mean, Donald Trump never mentions individual rights. He doesn't know what the concept is. In my view, I don't think any of, of the presidential candidates understand what it means. You know, it doesn't come from God. Individual rights are a necessity. If you believe, it, they're a moral principle, if you are a moral principle. They come from reality. They come from the fact that human beings, in order to thrive, in order to be successful, must be free of coercion. That forces the enemy of reason, forces the enemy of the mind, forces the enemy of of production, of productivity, of productiveness. And therefore we need a concept that captures the need for human beings to be free of coercion. The need for human beings to use reason in order to thrive and survive. And that concept is individual rights. I have a right to live my life based on reason without asking for your permission. And that's, that's a moral concept. It's not a concept that is revealed from any source. It's not a concept in some holy book. Individual rights, there is no such thing as natural law in the sense that it's somewhere out there in nature. Yeah, it is natural in a sense that as a human being, reality teaches us that we need to be free in order to thrive, that we need to be able to use our minds in order to survive. That's the sense in which it's natural. It's a natural right. But rights come from our nature, come from... The fact that we're a reason-based being, come from the fact, as Aristotle argued, that we are rational, rational animals. So yeah, America is a great country because it recognizes that. Yes, the founders were great men because they understood this principle. And we have no men like that today because nobody seems to understand this. You know, so, so even a, even a, a Ted Cruz Cruz or other, you know, real conservatives who sometimes talk about individual rights, they don't have the real concepts. They don't have a real understanding. They don't understand where it comes from. They don't understand the nature, the true nature of man. Again, as a rational being. So it's very disheartening. It's very disheartening. You know, here's this masterpiece that was created by the founders, that was created by the enlightenment. And it's being destroyed, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. Now, I wanted to talk about, you know, one of the great contradictions of the founding, one of the real, a real tragedy, a real sad story, and that is that is slavery. And the fact that, in spite of declaring that all men are created equal, no, here for a second, I'll just I'll, I'll return to slavery in a, in a second. They didn't mean that all men are going to be equal in outcome, or all men have equal opportunities, or any of the sloppy leftist conservative or conservative understandings of the world where equality is today. There is no such thing as equality of opportunity. I mean, I worked damn hard so that my kids have more opportunities than other kids. I wanted to give them the most opportunities they could. And, and I know a lot of parents, and, and you know what? My kids have more opportunities than a kid growing up in, in South Central Los Angeles because they went to better schools. And, and you're never going to take that away. They're always going to be richer kids and poorer kids and and kids who go to better schools and worse schools. And hopefully none of no kid ever goes to schools as bad as they are in South Central LA. Hopefully we can improve on that. But there will always be differences. The idea of equality of outcome or opportunity is, is, a, is a nutty, science fiction, bogus concept. And the only way to try to achieve it is by taking from some... To give to others, it's by knocking people of ability down. We'll talk about inequality. I mean, as many of you know, I have a book called "Equal is Unfair." Equal is unfair. You can buy it on Amazon. Go do it now. Any format known to man—audio, you know, Kindle, hardcover, softcover—anything you can get, you can get the book in. So, so go buy it. Uh, Equal is unfair. So, we'll talk a lot about inequality, but I want to talk about the sense in which the founders mean all men are created equal. And and what they mean by it is that we all have the same political freedoms, that we all should be treated by the law in the same way, And, 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 and deeper than that, that we all have the same rights, we all have the same liberties. All of us, all human beings have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No matter where they live, no matter where they were born, no matter what class they were born in, no matter how much money they have, no matter what their surname is, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what sexual orientation they have, as human beings, as reasoning-thinking beings, we have a right to be free from coercion. We have a right to pursue the values that we deem necessary to live a productive, happy life. And nobody has a right to stop us. Not the state, not the government, not our neighbors, not democracy, nobody. That's why their rights are unalienable. Unalienable. So equality for the founders meant political equality. It meant equality of rights, equality of liberties. It meant that the state could not discriminate because we're all free. And all the state's job is, is to protect us and should protect all of us equally, the same. And yet, there's a whole group of people, whole class of people who had no rights, who were slaves. Slavery is the exact opposite of rights, right? Your life, in a sense, belonged to somebody else. You're owned as a human being. And we can discuss you know why they had this conception and you know but but at the end of the day they compromised at the end of the day they gave in to slave owners to maybe their economic interests maybe the perception that some people had that blacks weren't human beings but it was wrong it was a violation of the own the principle that they articulated and for that for that contradiction for that violation for that evil of allowing slavery to continue We had a civil war, 600,000 Americans died in that war, 600,000. We were a small country back then, 600,000 was even more than it would be today. Imagine 600,000 dying today in a war. And this is when we were a fraction of the size we are today. And that's because of this compromise. Because they did not take this idea of equality, of rights, of liberty consistently, did not cover everybody. But I'll say this in their defense. It is by articulating the case for rights, for individual rights, not group rights, not collective rights, there are no such things, individual rights, it is because they articulated that case. It's because they created a country based on that and proved the efficacy of that, the, the, the viability of that idea, that ultimately slavery was eradicated. Without the founding fathers, without the Fourth of July, without the creation of this country, I don't think slavery would have ever been eradicated from the face of this. It. Not, not completely eradicated. There's still cultures, particularly in the Middle East, that still have slavery. But from the Western world, it was eradicated. because of the ideas articulated by the founding fathers. Now ideas, granted, that they got from other Enlightenment thinkers, but they put it into reality. They manifest those ideas in a country. And within a few years after the founding of America, maybe 20 years, in Britain they banned slavery and then they banned the the, the trade in slavery and the British fleet went out there to stop slave ships from running. And the tide has shifted and slowly Slavery was eradicated, so by the late 19th century, at least in the Western world, slavery was gone as a phenomenon, a phenomenon that had existed from the beginning of time. You know, we've always had slaves. The Bible tells the Jews how to treat their slaves. There's no banning of slavery in the Bible. It's a modern idea. It's an idea of the Enlightenment. It's an idea that comes out of the ideas of the founders, the idea of unalienable rights that human beings have. And human beings doesn't distinguish between color, it doesn't distinguish between race, it doesn't distinguish between sex. Ultimately, it's the Declaration of Independence. It's the founding of this country that led to the emancipation of women, because the fact is that the Declaration applies to all human beings. Women are human beings, so it has to apply to them. So that contradiction ultimately was done away with. These ideas These ideas at the heart of the Declaration, at the heart of the Fourth of July, at the heart of the founding of America are unbelievably powerful ideas, the most powerful political ideas in human history, based on a lengthy philosophical tradition of the Enlightenment. These are the ideas that must be celebrated, the ideas that liberate all of humanity and can liberate all of humanity. That's what we should be celebrating on the Fourth of July. That's what we celebrate here on the Iran Brook Show. You're listening to the Uran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break.
0: Best selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Uran Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
1: The Iran Book Show. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. We're talking here about the importance, the intellectual, philosophical, historical significance of the Fourth of July, the founding of this great, greatest in all of human history country because it was founded on the principles of liberty and the principle of individual rights. Individual rights, not not the kind of rights that the left particularly, but, but everybody seems to talk about today. Group rights ethnic rights, minority rights. Ayn Rand said, just a fact that it's absolutely true. What is the smallest minority in the world? The individual. And it's the individual that has a right. Groups can't have rights. Groups don't exist. Society doesn't exist. The public doesn't exist. What is the public? It's a bunch of people. It's a bunch of individuals. What's a group? A bunch of individuals. The unit that exists. The unit that's of significance, the unit that's of importance is the individual. Only individuals think. Just like only individuals can eat. We don't have a collective stomach. We don't have a collective brain. Only individuals have rights. There's no such thing as minority rights, group rights, collective rights. All that whole idea is a bogus idea that is destroying America. It's turning us into Europe and away from the vision of the founders. You have a right as an individual to live free, to pursue the values, we've been talking about it all day, right? Pursue the values necessary for your survival, for your thriving, that you have rationally concluded that you need so that you can go out there and produce and create to live the best life that you can live. And today, in the name of groups, we want to stop that. You know, everybody does this, so, you know, I'm, I'm basically going to... Everybody. everybody talks about the public interest, the common good. What's good for America? There is no America. There is no public. There is no common. What's good for America is what's good for the individual. And what's good for the individual is to be free. You want to make America great again? Rediscover individualism. You Want America great again? Make America great again. Get rid of all the controls and the regulations that dictate to individuals how do they live their life. You want to make America great again? Reaffirm the value of real free, free speech. Individuals should have the right to say whatever they want to say. And if it offends you, walk away. Yell back at them. But you don't have a right to silence somebody because you're offended. you want to make America great again? Show respect for the individual human mind. Free it up. Distangle all the regulations, the taxes, the controls that restrict what we can do as individuals and can't do as individuals. Stop stealing our money as individuals. Stop taking our money and giving it to others. It It's bad for me because you're taking my money, but it's also bad for the people you're giving the money to. Because you're basically telling them they're worthless. They can't take care of themselves. They can't think for themselves. They're worthless human beings, so they need to depend on government. I say no. Every human being out there, every American can take care of himself. And if there are a few, a tiny, tiny fraction of a percent that truly can't take care of themselves, the rest of us will take care of them. We don't need government to intervene. So I'm all for making America great again. I, I just don't think this crop of politicians and our president has a clue on how to do it. Really, I don't have a clue. Because you need a deep understanding of what America is. You need to have a deep understanding of what individualism requires. And um, as we've said, nobody really in the political world has that, but we're trying to change that right, right here on the Iran Book Show. We'll be right back after this break.
0: You're on. on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: You're on Brooke. We're talking about the America that was and the America that is. And yeah, I mean, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, certainly, there were no entitlements, there was no welfare, there was no redistribution of wealth. People expected to to manage well, to, to be successful in life because they were left alone, because they were free. There was some respect for the competence of individual, for the abilities of individuals to make something of their own life. There wasn't this conception of, oh, you can't survive. I need to help you. I need to take care of you. I mean, that's true hundreds of years ago when we thought all human beings were ignorant and pathetic and, and impotent. What the Enlightenment taught us and what the American Revolution institutionalized was the exact opposite idea. The idea that human beings were competent, able, had the ability to take care of themselves. And what the 19th century, the the, the, the hundred years after the establishment of America proved to us was that it worked? America went from the one of the a poor country, a third rate colony. The British didn't even fight us properly because they didn't care that much. And 140 years later, we'd become the mightiest economy in the world. The, the dawn of, at the, the eve of, uh, the dawn of World War I, right? Mightiest military, mightiest economy in the world. Put aside military. How did that happen? How did we get from poor third-rate colony to the strongest economy in the world? How do we do that? We did that because of freedom. We did that because of entrepreneurs and businessmen, so-called robber barons who created or built this country because they were free to do it. Could you imagine Thomas Edison today? You know how many environmental regulations he would need? You know, he'd probably be shut down because he didn't wear goggles in his experiments. I mean, can you even imagine Rockefeller doing what he did back then? The environmentalists would shut him down and he created an oil industry. He lowered the cost of energy to nothing in this country. He made it possible to, to light the world, to have an internal combustion engine. Today, we demonize fossil fuels. Ooh, evil fossil fuels. But they made the modern world possible. They made you as rich as you are. So this experiment we ran, it's a founding, 140 years of freedom, relatively freedom, Not, not pure freedom, not as good as I would have liked, still flaws in the system, slavery, for example. But we ran the experiment, and it worked. It worked magnificently well, with no entitlements, with no redistribution, with very little regulation, with very little controls, just leaving people free. People didn't starve in the streets. I mean, you could find here and there somebody who starved in the street. But that wasn't the rule. Immigrants came here, millions of them, from the poorest countries in Europe. Italy, Ireland, Jews from Ukraine and Poland. People who are ignorant, people who are farmers, people who didn't know anything. And they came here and they made a life for themselves. And within a generation or two, they were middle class. And they didn't come with a hand out because we wouldn't. We weren't giving them stuff. The whole American principle of self-reliance, of self-responsibility, that's what the country was built on. That's the idea of individual rights. You have a right which means we're going to leave you alone, which means you have to take care of yourself. That's the point of freedom. What's the point of freedom? To give you space so that you can take care of yourself, so you can Pursue the values you need to survive and to thrive. That's the point. Oh, no. But now we have mother government telling us what research we can do, what we can do, what labs we can work in, where we can build, what we can build, how big we can build, how small we You know, everything. Everything is controlled. Everything is regulated. We don't have private property anymore. We need the environmental regulatory agencies to tell us what we can and cannot do with our own land. Imagine, imagine if that was in the 19th century. We'd we'd still be one of the, we'd still be a poor country. None none of the riches we have today are possible with this level of control and regulation if you start out that way. We couldn't have gotten to where we are today if we had started out that way. But, you know, so we proved the experiment. 100 years. 100 years. We tried freedom. And it worked magnificently, better probably, with more economic success than even the founders would have imagined. And yet we'd be moving away from it. And why? For a hundred years, we'd been undercutting it and moving away from it and controlling and redistributing and and telling people that they can't think and they can't take care of themselves and they need the state. And we should tell them what to think and we should tell them how to think it. So we have to have public education because the government needs to get involved in how and what we think. But how we work, how much we get paid with minimum wage laws and, 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 and labor regulations up the kazoo. The government wants to tell me who I can fire, when I can fire, who I can hire, when I can hire them. There's no end to the amount of intervention we have today. I mean, there is. It could, get, it could be a lot worse. We could be purely socialist. We could elect Bernie Sanders to be president, and then it would definitely be worse. But that's the direction we're heading. I wouldn't be surprised if Bernie Sanders... A Bernie Sanders-like candidate wins in one of our future elections. How did we get here? We got here by abandoning the idea of individual rights. We got here by abandoning the idea of the primacy of the individual. We got here by abandoning the principle in which this country was founded, the idea of individualism. Starting in the late 19th century and early 20th century, we started importing The collectivist ideas of European philosophers, from Kant to Hegel to Schopenhauer to Karl Marx. And those ideas were first embraced by by universities. Why were they embraced by universities? Think about it. When Yale and Harvard and Princeton wanted to become the top universities in the world, where did they go to hire their professors? Well, they went to Europe. They brought them here with all their rotten ideas, with their, their evil philosophies. And they've been teaching our kids since then. Since then, since the late 19th century, the left has dominated the universities. And the left is becoming crazier and crazier and crazier at these universities, right? So it's becoming worse and worse and worse. But they have dominated for 100 years, which has colored everything. Everything we study from history to economics to, to, to everything in the humanities, has and in, 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 to some extent even the sciences, has been colored by these philosophies. And these, all these philosophers, all these philosophies want to return us to an era before the enlightenment, before the discovery of reason and individualism. They want to tell us, all these philosophers tell us, and you, all you have to do is walk into an English class or a sociology class or if, to some extent a philosophy class on campuses today that reason is impotent then individuals don't know what's really in reality. They can't discover real truth. Truth? What's truth? There's no truth. There's no such thing. There's my truth, your truth. There's black truth, there's green truth, there's yellow truth, there's Hispanic truth, there's female truth, there's male truth. There's no one truth. That's what they teach us. And therefore, since the individual is incompetent, since the individual is impotent, since his mind is useless, to survive, he must rely on the group. And the group, how does he decide? How does he pick a group? Well, he doesn't get to pick. His group is genetically imposed on him. His race, his color, his ethnicity, his background. Or he can just choose a group by whim. You don't want to be male. You want to be female. You don't want to be white. You can become black. You can, you know, you can, I guess, whim. Some people even go that far. And then it's all about groups. they are no individuals. There's how to white males treat black females and how black females treat LGBT, whatever, right? Trans, you know, and it, then it's just, and then it becomes, oh, this group is oppressing that group and this group, it, it's called intersectionality. We'll, we'll talk on a future show about intersectionality, but it's all collectivism, one form or another. It's all turning the American Revolution on its head. The rejection of individualism for collectivism the rejection of individual rights for the right of the group over the individual. Collectivism is the political enemy in America today. It's been the political enemy for a hundred years and we, the individualists, are losing. The founders would be horrified by the state of the world today. They would be horrified that all the discoveries All the great ideas of the Enlightenment, all the great ideas that they embraced, that they studied, that they understood, and that they incorporated into the founding of this country, all of that has been abandoned. And today, most people are just ignorant of it. They don't even know it existed. America means nothing to them. It's just another country with borders. All our kids know is that we once had slaves, we interned the Japanese. And I don't know what else, uh, you know, and and we killed the Indians. That's what they know about American history. They don't understand at the core the fundamental concepts and this fundamental, magnificent, earth-shattering, world-changing achievement that was America. I mean, not not to say that slavery wasn't an ill and we treated the Indians really, really badly and and the other stuff, right? Not everything about America is perfect. You don't have to think everything about America is perfect to love the founding and to love the ideas behind the founding. The fact that we did not implement those ideas well, it's not the founders' fault, although it is their fault that that they compromised on slavery. We're listening to the Iran Brook Show. We'll be right back after this break.
0: This is the Iran Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Ron Brooks Show. Wonderful fourth of July weekend. I hope you're having a great time and um, firing up those barbecues and getting ready for, for a fantastic celebration. My favorite holiday. My favorite holiday, my, my, my favorite day. Uh, I can't think of anything more glorious to celebrate than the founding of this country. The the, the principles of, of freedom, of liberty, of individual rights. Uh, They, you know, they animate everything that I do. They animate my whole philosophy of life. And I am an immigrant. I I came to this country because I love these ideas. I came to this country because I believe still that this country is the best manifestation of those ideas. It's slipping away. It's slipping away, and that makes me sad. And one of the reasons I do this radio show, one of the reasons I write books, one of the reasons I travel all over the world speaking is because I want to save this country. I want to save this country as an act of justice to the founders who gave us such a magnificent document and, and, and fought, fought. We're willing to give up their life, their, their, their honor, their property. We're putting all of that at stake. And what do we do? We just take it all for granted. We just cruise. and We complain here and there about our politics. We go vote once every four years. Not it means anything. Because what is the real fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans? We pretend that we care. We go to rallies once in a while. Here were men who put their lives on the line for freedom, for liberty. Here were men who put their lives on the line for philosophical idea, for individual rights, for the right of the individual to own his own life, to to live his own life as he saw fit in pursuit of his own values, to to be to to, to create they put their li- lives on the line to create a country that left us free to pursue our happiness what a noble cause what a noble cause what do we do we take it all for granted and we vote it all away and we elect politicians that are destroying everything that the founding fathers created and we're slipping away into mediocrity we're slipping away into becoming another France or Germany or Sweden America's losing what it means to be America right it used to be that if you lost your job in Ohio, you didn't sit around on your butt waiting, waiting for the government to bail you out. You didn't elect a president who promised to bring you jobs to Ohio. You got in your car and you went looking for a job. And if that job was across the country, you went across the country. I mean, that's what this country is about. You took responsibility for yourself. You took advantage of the freedom we have in this country and you made something of your life. But today so many Americans feel entitled. We want health care. We have pre-existing conditions, take care of us. Instead of standing up on their own feet. Instead of living their lives for themselves. They you know become dependent, entitled on everybody else. Exact opposite. Exact opposite. of 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 the vision the founders had for this country an exact opposite of the way americans behaved in the 19th century you know this country was created not through entitlement but by the hard work of individuals taking responsibility full responsibility for their own lives too many americans have abandoned that too many americans that's gone and until we resurrect that spirit of personal responsibility of independence. There's really no hope. All right, I don't want to end on a, on a, on a, on a negative note. So, you know, let's just remember. Let's use the 4th of July to recommit ourselves to the fight. To the fight for individualism. To the fight for freedom. To the fight for individual rights. To the fight for America. We're losing America. America's lost. We need to rediscover it. We need to teach Americans about what America is. Today Americans don't know what America is. It's incumbent on all of us who do know to teach them. And as I mentioned earlier, the founding fathers on the 4th of July basically signed away their lives, their property, their sacred honor, in the cause of liberty, in the cause of freedom. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to do any less than what they were willing to do? We don't have to take up arms now. But what we need to do is speak. Speak, speak. So go out there and speak for America. You're listening to The Ron Brook Show. Happy Fourth of July.
0: You're listening to The Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.